Welcome, beautiful people, to Camp Koji. My name is Joel, and thank you for joining me as I break down the biggest gaming news from the week that was the only podcast you will ever need. Now, today's show, we're going to talk about a few Activision Blizzard stories, including Overwatch's $45 skins and Sony's Call of Duty Fear. But first, we're actually going to talk a little bit about Ubisoft. So last week, Rooters or Routers or Rooters, however you pronounce this website, I'm going to say Rooters. It's reporting that Tencent is looking to increase its investment in Ubisoft. Tencent currently owns 5% of the company. Rooters is reporting that Tencent is willing to pay up to nearly $104 a share, more than double what Ubisoft stock is currently worth. Some of those shares would come directly from the Guimau family, which founded Ubisoft in 1986 and currently owns roughly 15% of it. Um, this is kind of an interesting story for kind of many reasons, <laughs> more so because we've talked a lot lately about how many, or excuse me, um, the likelihood that Ubisoft will be sold at some point. And it's becoming increasingly more and more obvious as we get closer and closer to a little bit of like this rampant form of consolidation and the fact that Ubisoft just has not really been doing as well as they used to. You know, Ubisoft has not really been what you would call ahead of the curve. They've kind of really been behind on so many things. And it just sort of seems like, honestly, just Ubisoft doesn't even know what they're doing anymore. I think there was a, a story that broke last week that they find, I, I guess I'll use the term finally, finally hired a lead writer for Beyond Good and Evil 2, a game that was announced what feels like 15 years ago. I don't know exactly when it was announced. It's a game that honestly should have been canceled a very long time ago. I can't imagine how much money they've poured into that game. And this is coming from a person who did enjoy the first one. I, it's kind of at this point, it's like beyond vaporware. Um, and then you see all the failures that they've done in terms of handling different franchises, handling the Tom Clancy license. You know, they have like these the silver lining, something like uh, Rainbow Six Siege, for example. But everything else that they're doing, it seems like they always consistently arrive late to the party. You know, now they're putting Division on mobile. They came late to the party in Battle Royale. They came to, late to the party in free-to-plays, and they're basically just sort of emulating other companies' successes instead of, you know, walking their own path, which is what really made Ubisoft Ubisoft. What made Ubisoft the company that it is today is they sort of walked their own path. They found inspiration from within their four walls instead of just copy and pasting uh, what other companies have found to be their own success stories. So this is interesting because it's one of those things where if obviously this is all rumored, but put yourself in the shoes of a shareholder at Ubisoft, you're seeing uh, everything that's been happening over the last few years with Ubisoft, not just financially, not just critically, commercially. Um, you see everything that's been happening in terms of internal issues that have come to light, you know, sexual harassment, the mistreatment of employees, uh, you're probably more than happy to exit at this point in, in terms of whatever position you have into Ubisoft. And here comes this company that says, hey, we're willing to pay double what the share is worth today because they, I guess they have that much confidence that they can uh, not rebuild, but I guess they have confident confidence that Ubisoft will rebuild. Um, unless they're able to get a majority stake. As I said, currently they only own 5%. Majority stake would be, I'm going to assume it would be 51%. But, uh, but obviously then comes the issue of Tencent, right? This Chinese company. I think if you Google Tencent, one of the 
you know, autofill questions is, is Tencent evil? <laughs> because, you know, there's always these theories about these Chinese companies. And let's run through the list of companies, foreign investments that Tencent has in gaming. 100% ownership, Funcom, Layu, which includes Aflon, Digital Extremes, and Splash Damage. Uh, they own all of Riot Games, definitely one of the more successful companies here in North America. Shark Mob from Sweden, Sumo Group, Turtle Rock Studios, Wake Up Interactive, Inflection Games, Fulcrum, Fulcrum Games. Then they have Majority Stakes, 84% in Supercell, Grinding Gear Games, 40% of Epic Games, which is still the biggest steal that they've had, um, 38% of Pocket Gems, and then the percentages drops from there. Sea Limited, Don't Nod, Bluebird Team, Marvelous, Netmarble, Kakao, Crafton, Frontier Development, Katakawa Corporation, which owns From Software and Spike Chunsoft. They only own 6.86% of that. Uh, 5% Ubisoft, Paradox, 3.8% of Remedy. Then they have Majority Stakes and Fat Shark, Miniclip, Tequila Works, Clay Entertainment, 10 Chambers Collective, Jaeger Development, Voodoo. Oh, wait, hold on. These are minority stakes. Bohemia Interactive, Payload, Platonic, Riff Raff Games, Offworld Industries. Then they have these undisclosed uh, investments in Discord, Roblox, Lockwood Publishing, Platinum Games, Aiming, Nova Rama. Uh, it's obviously it's a really, really large connection of companies that they have. This is kind of one of those new stories, especially looking at the history of um, of Tencent and the history of everything that we know about Ubisoft, it, it sort of seems like one of those things that is probably more than likely going to happen, even if it's not, you know, them gaining a, a super large percentage, even if it's just going from 5% to 15 or 20%. If what Reuters is reporting is true, I can't imagine a lot of investors not going, you know what, let me just exit out of this, especially if they really feel like Ubisoft is just going to get worse. Um, first story, as I said, a lot of these stories really revolve around Activision um, Blizzard. So two months ago, Bobby Kotick announced that Activision Blizzard would begin bargaining with the Game Workers Alliance Union that was formed at Raven Software. Not too long ago, Blizzard Albany, currently working on Diablo 4, announced their own intent to unionize, but they are now claiming that ActaBliz is back to its union-busting ways and has rehired law firm Reed Smith to help them. Albany Game Workers Alliance, which is organizing for things like better pay, healthcare, and work-life balance, among other issues, said in a press release, quote, Instead of following Microsoft's lead and committing to a labor neutrality agreement, Activision has made the clear and conscious decision to deny us our basic labor rights while once again spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on a union-busting firm. The group says Activision Blizzard is re-enlisting the help of Reed Smith, an organization that offers union avoidance services in a futile effort to delay recognition. As the workers tell it, Reed Smith intends to urge the National Labor Relations Board to deny the individual QA group's right to unionize. When asked for comment, the Call of Duty publisher didn't say why it had rehired the law firm Reed Smith or how much it was paying, but it did confirm it would once again push for a studio-wide vote on unionization, of course. Quote, given the significant impact this change could have for roughly 150 people in Albany, that, that studio is formerly Vicarious Visions, we believe every employee in Albany who works on Diablo should have a direct say in this decision should not be made by fewer than 15% of employees. Company spokesman Rich George wrote in an emailed statement. So, of course, they're going to spin it that way. Um, you know, remember, I mean, always strive to remember that companies are not your friends. So when they, you know, put on this smile and they tell you, well, you know, we want to make sure the entire studio is voting, and they put this spin on it of like, oh, this decision shouldn't be made by fewer than 15% of employees, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it's, it's really them playing within the lines of, 
Now, what was that quote that I read earlier? Union avoiding, because technically union busting or uh, preventing your employees from unionizing or discussing unionization is illegal, but a lot of these companies, Activision Blizzard, especially Amazon, sort of do their best to, uh, I guess, color in between the lines to make sure that they, they're able to do whatever they can within their power to hopefully stop or scare employees from unionizing. Um, because to them, a what, a what a union signifies to a large company is that they are no longer 100% in control of uh, an employee's destiny. And we've obviously been going through something especially as a country here in the United States of America, where more and more employees are, are beginning to talk about unionization. Um, I think, I feel like it was just early this year or late last year when, you know, there was like the first Starbucks to unionize. And now I think they're, I think they're up to like a hundred Starbucks that have uh, voted to unionize and Starbucks is still trying their best to try to stop people and, you know, I think it's one of those things where you have to ask yourself if you're an employee at a company, why is it that a company is so intent on stopping people from unionizing? Remember, companies will do everything in their power uh, to keep as much money as they can. Uh, these CEOs and board members will do everything in the power to give themselves million dollar bonuses while giving you the, the shittiest health care that they can legally provide to you, which is why I always say that's really the definition of something like minimum wage. You know, it's, it's a, if a company pays you minimum wage, that's them acknowledging, you, you know, if I could pay you less, I absolutely would. Unfortunately, it's illegal and I can't pay you less. You know, some parts of the country, 725 or uh, here in New York, I believe minimum wage is $15. So look, it's no surprise that this is happening at Activision. Um, Blizzard and you know later on the main story of the episode we're going to talk about Xbox and Activision Blizzard and their purchasing of it but you you already sort of see the differences between these two companies where Microsoft and Phil Spencer have been very vocal very open very forward in terms of acknowledging unionization and I think can't, I can't go as far as, as to say that Microsoft is a company that 100% advocates for their employees. I, I, don't, I don't think I can go that, as far as to say that. But the fact that they are acknowledging it and they're open to conversations kind of shows that in the midst of everything that's happening with this purchase from Microsoft and the fact that you know, us in the gaming community, we're discussing the ramifications of it. Games going exclusive, you know, uh, games only being on Xbox and PC, games being taken away from PlayStation, what this means for the future of dormant franchises, for current franchises, what this means for the future of a lot of these teams. And I think that sometimes we fail to forget that this purchase is arguably one of the, hopefully one of the best things that can happen for a lot of these employees within Activision Blizzard. I mean, this company is an absolute mess. And that's even without uh, what we learned last year about all these crazy, ridiculous, disgusting things that were happening within the company. You see how they treat their employees in, in terms of unionization. Uh, everything that's happened with Bobby Kotick, the greed uh, at, at the top of the level of, uh, of these companies. The fact that so many of these um, teams have been dissolved and have been basically relegated to Call of Duty support teams where now Activision has like eight to ten studios working on uh, a single game or even uh, Vicarious Visions. We saw what happened with them becoming Blizzard Albany and the fact that, uh, you know, they were working on another Tony Hawk, but it was canceled because... The focus is on, uh, you know, Call of Duty and, you know, these small handful of, of games. Uh, at this point, 
I mean, it's very hard to not look at Microsoft purchasing Activision Blizzard at as a very positive move. Um, because I feel like they will restore a lot of those things. I could see Microsoft uh, slowing down Call of Duty releases and restoring a lot of these studios and allowing them to work on something new and work on something creative instead of just the next Call of Duty. Even Activision themselves is acknowledging, and we'll talk about it a little bit more later, about um, Call of Duty's need to no longer be a yearly tentpole franchise, especially uh, because it, it, it just doesn't perform as, as good as it used to. Um, so yeah, there's, there's really no surprise here. Um, after seeing what Raven was able to do, after seeing a lot of the solidarity that's happening with the ABK, Activision Blizzard, King Workers Alliance, I feel very positive about that vote, especially after what happened with Raven Software, where they did open the vote to the entire studio and they were still able to uh, vote to form a union. So I do have a lot of hope that they'll be able to put this through, even with Activision back to their old slimy ways of union busting. Now let's talk a bit about Overwatch. Two, last week, Twitter user Porter Gage uploaded screenshots from a survey their friend received from Overwatch, asking them how much money they've been willing to pay for skins and other rewards in Overwatch 2. The asking prices in the survey are as follow. Mythic skin, $44.99. Legendary skin bundle, including weapon charm, player icon, victory pose, voice line, name card, and spray, $29.99. Legendary skin, $24.99. Emote highlight intro souvenir $19.99, weapon charm $9.99, and then three sprays bundle $4.99. Quote this survey is entirely. Oh, wait, sorry. Before I read that, um, I got this new story from Kotaku. They reached out to Overwatch asking them about this survey, and this was their response. Quote, the survey is entirely intended to better understand player preferences for different types of Overwatch 2 cosmetics. Prices displayed in the survey were randomized per user, are not indicative of final prices. Plan to share details in our shop and battle pass system closer to our October 4th launch. So I brought this up in the past on the show about when a company releases a free-to-play game, they don't just, uh, you know, price items randomly. They always price based upon data that they've collected and doing um, what are they called? Focus groups or uh, focus uh, customer consumer surveys are one of those tools that they use to gather data uh, alongside sharing data from if within a company. So sharing data from, you know, uh, Activision in terms of their success with monetizing something like Call of Duty and, you know, um, the success in monetizing something like Warcraft. I'm sure all that data is shared, collected, and then they use that to determine what the price of something should be at launch and then everything else going forward. And when this kind of came out, a bunch of people went kind of crazy in terms of um, how is it possible that you know, uh, Blizzard can charge $45 for a single skin. But some people that got this survey, it asked, you know, would you pay, how likely are you to pay $15, $20 for a mythic skin? And then you had to mark, you know, not likely, somewhat likely, very likely, neutral, whatever those different options um, would have been. Now, the Mythic skin is supposed to be a brand new addition to Overwatch 2. This is a tier that never existed in the original Overwatch. The highest tier skin was a legendary skin, which if I'm not mistaken, I think is worth a thousand coins, I think it was, or 2,000 at first and then 1,000 once it's... I think it's, I think it's once... I know after some time, 
the price of a legendary skin goes down and you can buy it during like the the yearly anniversary event or something like that i can't remember exactly i guess there's really no real world price for the legendary skin because in the original overwatch you can only buy loot boxes you can't just straight up buy gold coins to buy a skin the only skins that you can technically buy with money would be the overwatch league skins with those you have to pay for league tokens and then you redeem those league tokens for uh, a skin and i think those skins played out to about five or ten dollars per skin something uh, along those lines now the mythic skin as i said it is something brand new what's unique about this skin um in comparison to every skin introduced in the original Overwatch, is that the Mythic skins are customizable. They haven't really gone in depth into exactly what that means, but I think it, it sort of means like you have a different headpiece, a different chest piece. You can sort of mix in and, and match, even though it still kind of all falls under the same sort of style. There are options to them so you can have a little bit of uniqueness in your skin even if someone else has the same mythic skin as you and i think the example that they gave for the first skin that they're doing i think it was genji is supposed to be the first skin that they're introducing in overwatch 2 but they haven't actually talked about exactly how that skin is going to be unlocked you know, I had theorized that maybe it was the final item that you get in um, in a battle pass or it would be something that you would have to pay for. Um, then let's go some of these over other prices that had a legendary skin bundle for $30. That includes a weapon charm. A weapon charm is something new to Overwatch 2. It's like, think of it like a little keychain for your gun. Player icon is um unless they change an overwatch 2 that's really only something you see in menus player icon is not something you really see in game victory pose is the pose your character has after they win so if your team wins it shows your entire team in sort of a victory presentation uh voice line self-explanatory a name card that's something that's brand new i've never that that's definitely not part of the original overwatch i'm guessing it's a background for where your your blizzard tag is i guess or battle net tag and then spray so self-explanatory sprays um that go on the wall so for the genji one the mythic skins that they show were like different face masks you could choose from like three different ones uh legendary skin 25 bucks as i said legendary was in the original overwatch as the highest tier skin those are skins that are wholly unique uh, they drastically swap pieces from the sort of the original kit of uh, that hero then you have emote highlight intro souvenir honestly don't know exactly what that means there are highlight intros in the original overwatch that basically means that at the end of the match if you got the best play the play of the game there's sort of a, i think that's what it is highlight emote highlight intro kind of sounds like what that would be uh weapon charm 999 which is <laughs> freaking ridiculous for just a keychain that hangs off your gun and then this three sprays bundle for $4.99. Now I was looking through the, 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 the original tweet. One Twitter user replied, quote, yo, I'd literally at any price would prefer buying Overwatch 2 instead of it being free to play with money grabs anywhere. And this is really what I wanted to talk about when it came to this story. This, um, this sort of stamp that we've put on so many of these games in terms of money grabs and i think that we've really reached this point where it's thrown around so much that i don't think people really understand exactly what they mean by that or what they're trying to get across in that way in terms of what makes a game a money grab and i think that 
there are lines that can be drawn in terms of whether a game is a money grab or it's not. I'm going to explain to you guys why I believe personally, especially after playing the beta, that at this moment right now, even without knowing any prices of anything, how ridiculous it can become, why I would not stamp Overwatch 2 as a money grab. And or according to this Twitter user, money grabs everywhere. And the funny thing is that when I saw this um, heading about, you know, $45 skins, the first thing that I thought in my mind was, I wish they would. And I mean that with the utmost honestly, honesty. I really wish that Overwatch would have $45, $50, $60 skins. <laughs> And I think the reason why, I, I guess personally for me, why I think that way is, is a few reasons. Number one, cosmetics and video games have never really spoken to me. Every skin that I have in Overwatch, in the original Overwatch, um, I've gotten for free. Even the special Overwatch Elite skins that have been released, those I got by earning League tokens from watching Overwatch League. And I just spent those on whatever skins that I wanted. I never really went out and bought every skin that they put on. I really only redeemed um, those points, those league tokens for players that I actually used. So uh, Jay Jonak is a professional uh, player who used to be on New York's team. He had, he won MVP one year and he had his own, uh, skin created for Zenyatta. And I think I think it was like 200 league tokens. I definitely bought that because Zenyatta is a character that I use a lot when I play Overwatch. And then every other skin that I've gotten in the game has gotten has, has come through in-game ways. And the in-game monetization system in Overwatch is without a doubt one of the fairest I've ever seen. Now everything's with loot boxes. You can't buy skins out of pocket. The only thing that you can pay for are loot boxes. But the game is extremely generous. And I mean extremely generous um, when it comes to giving away loot boxes. I think once every month or two months, you get free boxes based upon your endorsement level. So right now, my endorsement level always hovers around three, which means I get two free boxes. Uh once a week, they reset their arcade. You win nine arcade matches. You get three boxes. Occasionally, they'll give out free boxes on there for you to, um, uh, let's say, like 1v1 in the arcade. If you play that and you win your match, you get a free box. When they had the experimental, the experimental card uh, where they would put through early patches and changes, you just had to play a match. You get a free box. When you play ranked and in order to try to balance out the wait times, because DPS is always the longest, followed by um, support and then finally tank. If you choose to play tank or what's called flex, meaning that, that the game will randomly matchmake you into whatever slot is available, you get one free box a day for doing that. And then if you rank, excuse me, if you queue up in tank or flex, uh, you get 25 credits every time you endorse uh, a player at the end of a match. One of your teammates is basically saying they did a good job. You get 25 XP for every time you endorse someone. And then every single time that you level up in the game, which usually is an average of about four matches, I think around there, four or five matches, you get a loot box. So it's actually one of the, the fairest, I think, loot box systems uh, that I've seen, but of course, if you're a person that's super intent on getting a particular skin, then you're probably a person that would go out and buy loot boxes. I, uh, personally, I, I don't think I ever have part of me thinks that I think the first time they did a Halloween event, I think I bought a few boxes just to kind of try it out. Um, maybe that was like five bucks, but I honestly don't really remember. And all that coming from a full price game, which at one time was 50 bucks. Now I think it was regularly like $20. Now it seems that none of that is going to move over into the sequel. I don't think that any of that stuff is going to happen. 
The reason why I would never constitute what Overwatch 2 is doing as a money grab is because a money grab, in my opinion, would be either pay to win. That's a, that's a money grab type of attitude to me. Um, or uh, limiting or closing off parts of a, of a video game or a multiplayer game in this point behind a paywall. So when Overwatch 2 comes out, the entire experience is free. As far as we know, they previously said that PVE you had to pay for. We, It's really unclear if you have to pay for that. So we're only going to talk about PvP. We're only going to talk about purely the multiplayer aspect of Overwatch 2. When the game releases on October 4th, the entire game is open. You get access to all, I think it's like 30 heroes at this point, right? You get access to all future heroes. The moment that a hero drops, you get access to it. They haven't talked about putting them behind any type of wall. Other games have done that. So something like Apex Legends, even recently Multiverses, not every single character is available to you. You do have to actively play the game. Yes, it's you know quick to unlock. Same thing as something like Apex Legends. The more you play, the easier these new uh, legends are to unlock. But as far as we know, for Overwatch 2, the moment a hero is introduced, so as soon as October 4 drops, Junker Queen is there from uh, uh, the very beginning, and whoever this new support is, some sort of Fox hero, uh, they'll be there from day one. You'll be able to pick that character. No maps are behind a paywall, so every time a new map is going to be added, it's going to be a part of it. As far as we know... Um, if they continue to do events, so sometimes they, you know, they do the Christmas event, the Olympics event. I could definitely see that as something that they continue to do with Overwatch 2. Uh, none of those are going to be behind, be behind a paywall. Uh, no modes are behind paywalls. It's not like if they uh, do custom games, you have to pay extra for to, to do custom games or pay extra, you know, $10 every quarter in order to do ranked or something like that. So the entire game is completely open. So I think that we've reached this point where I think, you know, in certain aspects, I think it's okay to criticize a company because I think that they earned it, right? They earned that criticism. Halo Infinite is one of them. The fact that Halo Infinite launched and, and leading up to the launch, 343 was talking about how much they wanted everyone to have their own individual Spartan. And then the game comes out and colors, you have to pay for different colors, you know, pay five bucks. And then if you get this helmet, you need this particular kit. It That's something that I would look at as very egregious and very dishonest. For something like Overwatch 2, with the entire game being completely free to play, right? Uh, with there being zero pressure to spend any money outside of doing some, giving, um, excuse me, outside of buying something cosmetically, that's not the definition of a money grab. It's so far and away from it. Um, especially when you think about a game that's a first person game. I think that's like the one thing that's going to affect them in terms of pricing their skins is the fact that this is a game, I think outside of Wrecking Ball, which is the hamster and the metal ball in the game, which is a character that you're used to seeing in third person for most of the time, maybe Reinhardt, we use his shield, he goes in third person. For the most part, you're not really seeing your character, which is really the main reason why I don't really care about skins. Right now in the original Overwatch, I am sitting on over 1,700 loot boxes that I've just never opened because it's kind of just a waste of time. I only have, I only try to play an hour, two hours per session. So I just want to sit there and play the game. Right now, my goal has been to get to 2,000 boxes before Overwatch 2 um, launches because then at that point I have to open the boxes or Overwatch 2 is just going to open them for me and I would just rather do it myself which I'm sure is going to take a few hours maybe I'll do a video or stream it or something like that mm. um, but this is the reason why I want to sit here and say I really wish they would do $50 skins, which I know sounds like kind of crazy right this thought price of Joel why the hell would you want them to have $50 skins I think for the same reason why if you go right now in New York City, if you walk along Fifth Avenue, you can find a $10 shirt, you can find a $30 shirt, 
And in certain stores like Gucci, you can find a $1,000 shirt. I think the one thing that has been lost in this aspect of free-to-play gaming that we're in right now is just that term, free-to-play, completely free. You're not paying for it. And on the, you know, on PC, it's completely free-to-play online. On PlayStation and on Xbox, these free-to-play games are free-to-play online. You do not need to pay for gold. You do not need to play for PlayStation Network. These are truly 100% free-to-play games. And as I said, with a a game like Overwatch 2, even with a game like Multiverses, I'll even throw a Fall Guys in there, you're getting pretty much the entire game. The entire multiplayer game that they're trying to deliver to you is completely free. But at the end of the day, the game is not free to create, nor is it free to to operate, especially when we're talking about something like multiplayer that's going to have cross-play, cross-progression, adding new heroes, adding battle passes, you know, uh, adding new maps, all these different things that they're trying to do as a company. None of that comes for free. So if there are people in this world that are more than happy they're more than willing, they're more than able to afford a $50 skin, to afford a $10 keychain for a weapon. Why would I why would I as a player and as a fan of Overwatch 2 not want this team to make as much money as possible? Because that's what that that's what regards the success of a video game, right? If a video game is not generating enough revenue, it gets shut down. Right? I guarantee you there are a lot of people that were huge fans of Hyperscape. They loved what Ubisoft did um, with their Battle Royale. I don't think it lasted two years. Why? Because it wasn't making any money. And I think to me, I'd rather these companies go a little bit crazy and experimental with their pricing while continuing and keeping a balance, right? So for example, something like a weapon charm I do look at that as something that uh, I would I would definitely look at pricing that appropriately in order to be able to give it as much give fans as much access as possible. So something like weapon charms, in my opinion, should only be like five bucks. I don't think weapon charms should be something like ten bucks. Do I think a mythic skin should realistically be like forty five or or, or fifty dollars? Uh, Honestly, it's really not for me to say. It's up. You know, the pricing of these items is up to what the company believes someone is more than ready, willing, and able to pay for it. But I think I could apply the same thing to Diablo Immortal. You know, a, a story broke out, and I think it's it's in today's Wrap It Up, about some idiot who spent $100,000 on Diablo Immortal. $100,000 on a mobile cell phone game. We all need to acknowledge that for a lot of people out there, their revenue source is a lot different than mine. It's a lot different than yours. Think about the mentality that has to go in someone's brain to spend the equivalent of, you know, uh, that's about three years salary. If we're talking about the average earning wage for an American, which I think is around $32,000, dollars something like that. They're spending that on virtual items for a video game, for a cell phone game, Diablo Immortal. So to me, I honestly, and and once again, I'm just speaking from my own uh, experiences, from my own opinion, I honestly don't care. If Blizzard were to go ahead and say Mythic skins are going to be 40 bucks, and let's say they release a Zenyatta skin, who is, you know, my all-time, uh, that's definitely my all-time favorite hero in Overwatch. Why would I be angry or upset? It's a skin. It's literal virtual clothing for a virtual character. Uh, clothing that I will rarely see. I'm going to see it at the end of uh, Victory Pose when I win. I'll see it when I activate my... Uh, my ultimate transcendence because it goes into third person. I'll, I'll look at it. If I emote, why am I going to spend $40 on this? But someone out there is going to spend $40. It's the same people. It's the same concept as what's that dude's name? The salt Bay guy who sells steak 
for like $500 because it's, it's a, a steak that they probably brought in for like, you know, $10 a steak, whatever, wrapping in some gold foil. He comes out with his black glove and, you know, puts salt on his elbow and then on, on the meat, which is absolutely disgusting in my opinion. And then they charge you $400 and there's people out there who will buy it. I look at these examples as the same thing. Blizzard needs to make money. At the end of the day, they're, they're going to make money and they're not going to get it from people like me, right? <laughs> There's going, there are a lot of people that are like me and they're like, okay, cool, free game, I'll do it. Maybe I'll do battle passes that I'm not sure of. It depends on what's in it. It sounds like it's going to be $10 uh, per quarter. So $10 for every you know three months or so or something like that. Um, and depending on what those prizes are, maybe I will. But right now I'm leaning towards probably not because as I said, none of this matters to me. But for a lot of people out there, they want to be able to press a button and Zenyatta give a thumbs up or a thumbs down or whatever, or a special skin or uh, give him, you know, glowing orange balls or green balls if they want. They'll pay the five bucks for that. Why would I be mad at them? Why would I be mad at Blizzard? for providing the entire experience for free and then saying, hey, you know what? We kind of need money to make this work out. And it's like, if there's people out there that want to spend $100 a month on this video game in order to fund this team, in order to keep this game running for five, six, seven, ten 10 years or, or what have you, hopefully, I would want that. Yes, bring on the $50 Mythic skins. Bring on $100 skins. Go ahead, drop a $100 skin. I'm sure a lot of people will buy it. And then at some point, put it on sale, just like any other type of consumable in the real world. It comes out at a certain price, then it goes on sale, clearance, whatever. Do what you got to do. Put, put, put a time shop up, right? Hey, the Genji Mythic skin is, is, is back up after being gone for, for a few months. Exploit people's FOMO. Because at the end of the day, these companies need to make money. And as long as it's not play to win, it doesn't give people an advantage, and they're not locking parts of the video game, let them. If you're one of those people that are like me, that are like, wow, that's a really stupid way to, 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 to spend money. There are definitely way better ways to spend $45 um, than buying a, uh, you know, a skin for a video game character. Right now, I'm a person that I really I think my limit for a pair of sneakers would probably be 150. I'm probably closer to 120 dollars. I wouldn't pay more than that for a pair of sneakers. There are people out there that pay four, five hundred dollars for a pair of sneakers. Sometimes that they don't even wear. That's that's their choice. Is is their money? And if someone wants to fund the future of Overwatch for 45 dollars skins, do it. More power to you. Final story of the week goes to Xbox. So last week, Sony responded to questions from the Brazilian government in regards to Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard. According to a 2019 study, quote, the importance of Call of Duty to entertainment in general is indescribable. The brand was the only video game IP to break into the top 10 of all entertainment brands among fans joining powerhouses such as Star Wars, Game of Thrones, Harry Potter, and Lord of the Rings. Call of Duty is so popular that it influences users' choice of console and its community of loyal users is entrenched enough that even if a competitor had the budget to develop a similar product, it would not be able to rival it. And that was uh, according to Sony. That was what Sony said. In a document from the New Zealand Commerce Commission published in June, Microsoft claims that there is, quote, <laughs> this is so funny, quote, Nothing unique about the video games developed and published by Activision, which is obviously a very weird thing to say for a company that you're you're looking to buy for $70 billion. <laughs> so this was kind of a big story. I think it really, let's be honest, it really was blown out of proportion. Um, because at the end of the day, Sony said exactly what we would expect Sony to say in this situation, right? At the end of the day, that you know, there's so much synergy right now within all of the big three. Um, but I think even with, with Microsoft and, and Sony, I think both companies have been 
very public in terms of uh, heaping praise for one another. You know, Phil Spencer was popped up on, on on Twitter. I think it was like a week ago for claiming that his most anticipated game this year is God of War Ragnarok. Because I mean, why not? It's not like Xbox has anything this year. So God bless him for being honest about it. Um, but at the same time, these companies are still very much in competition, right? Sony would rather you buy a PlayStation. Xbox would rather you buy an Xbox. <laughs> That's just really the way that it goes. No matter how nice they are to each other in public. Um, and I think both companies can, you know, walk the line very gracefully and be very respectful about it. Even with all that in their mind, they would rather you pay, you know, if you have $500 in your pocket, they'd rather you buy PlayStation over Xbox or vice versa. Now, Sony, of course, uh, as I said, they said what we would, of course, expect them to say. If, you're, if, if they're asked like, hey, do you think Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard is anti-competitive? Of course, they're going to say, yeah, I think it is. You know, the same as I would probably expect Microsoft to say the same about Sony buying Square Enix, for example, right? These rumors about Sony buying a company like Square Enix. I'm sure they would say the same and they would bring up something like Final Fantasy, maybe something like Kingdom Hearts, two of the most critically commercially successful RPGs of our time, especially when you think about Square Enix as a company in itself as a brand. It really is the premier RPG powerhouse, right? So Sony, of course, understands the power of Call of Duty. If we remember correctly, they've spent millions of dollars over the last decade to become Call of Duty's basically their console partner, along with exclusive content that they've had over the years. For those that forgot, Xbox at one point was Call of Duty's console partner. And I think it started around Call of Duty 3. I think it started around the Xbox 360 era, rolling over into Xbox One, where they were paying Activision in order to become their console partner. That... Um, contract expired and then PlayStation decided to pick it up. And then that's when they started getting exclusive content. They got the early beta access, for example. Um, you know, when Call of Duty was shown, it was shown with the PlayStation logo. Um, and it sort of still is that way. Call of Duty's um, championships are played on PlayStation. Or I think they switched to PC, but I'm, I might be wrong about that. Don't quote me on that and that further just strengthens the sort of the marriage between Call of Duty and PlayStation. So PlayStation knows better than most just how important and key Call of Duty is. Um, but the thing about it is this is almost like what they call it. What, what, what's that called? A pot calling the kettle black or whatever that, 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 uh, that sort of term is because PlayStation continues to spend money out of their pocket in order to make things exclusive. It's not like PlayStation is a company in and of itself that believes, hey, you know, when, when games are made, they should be accessible to everyone. So it's a little bit hypocritical for them to come forward and say like, yeah, Call of Duty, like the importance of it to end same is indescribable. And um, even if a competitor had a similar budget, you wouldn't be able to create something that could compare to Call of Duty. This is coming from a company that, is at this very moment paying Capcom probably millions in order to become the console partner of Street Fighter VI. They paid millions to, to keep Street Fighter V uh, exclusive. And even though VI is now coming to Xbox, they're still paying them. You know, at EVO over the weekend, they announced, uh, you know, a, a brand new character and the return of, of, of a previous character. And at the end of that trailer, it's at PS5, PS4. You know, you might think that those are the only two consoles that are getting this game, right? But it's also coming to Xbox, and it is also coming to PC. This is a company that's that's paying Square Enix millions for Final Fantasy uh, 16 to, to be exclusive, for Final Fantasy 7 uh, Part 2 to be exclusive, for, you know, the original remake to remain exclusive. There's no way that Square Enix is just doing it, just like, ah, you know, there's no reason for us to bring it to Xboxes because PlayStation is paying them. No, let's let's renew that contract. Let's keep it on PlayStation for yet 
another year. So I feel like you can't do that as a company and then simultaneously say, hold on, wait a minute, let's draw the line. Now that you buy Activision, no, you can't make Call of Duty exclusive or we can't let them have it because they're, they're going to um, make Call of Duty exclusive. And I think the interesting part about all of this in terms of Xbox buying Call of Duty is that technically making Call of Duty exclusive isn't the only way to sort of push this idea that Xbox is the way to play Call of Duty. You know, it, it's almost like PlayStation saying uh, the best way to experience PlayStation 5 is on this Sony TV, right? It's, it's just them creating their own corporate synergy. And Xbox could absolutely do the same thing with Call of Duty without having to uh, keep it as exclusive or take it away from PlayStation. I can see both of these scenarios happening. I can see Xbox saying, you know what? Call of Duty is going to remain exclusive. If you want to play Call of Duty, you're either going to have to uh, buy an Xbox or play it on PC. I can't imagine very many people going like, oh, cool. I'll just play X, you know, Call of Duty on X cloud. It's really not the ideal way to play a multiplayer shooter. Right. Um, I could see that happening, but um, I've, I've kind of brought it up on this show many times in terms of the fact that Call of Duty is nowhere near as pop popular as it once was. Sales-wise, yes, but it no longer has the legs that it used to. At, at the end of March 2021, monthly active users for Call of Duty was 150 million. A little over a year later... And last week, Activision reported that number had dropped to 94 million. So for one, from 150 to 94, that's a pretty big drop in a little over a year. And the reason why that's happening, it's, it's not really uh, indicative of, I don't think it's, it's just solely the quality of Call of Duty. It's just the quantity of competition, A, and the quantity of... Uh, competitors that players can enter completely for free or at a very low cost. So you look at a multiplayer game like Halo Infinite, it is free to start playing it. Fortnite, free to start playing it. Apex Legends is free to start playing it. And now we're seeing free-to-play start moving into all of these different genres, even fighting games like, uh, like multiverses, right? So I think that that's something that Microsoft is going to evaluate and look at. And I think Microsoft is going to, go, going, going to say to themselves, you know, Call of Duty obviously has a very big base on PlayStation 4 and is building that base on PlayStation 5. If I'm a betting man, I'm going to put my money that right now Call of Duty on PlayStation outnumbers Call of Duty on Xbox. If I'm a betting man, I don't know the truth of it, right? So I think if you're Xbox... I personally don't think that the right move is um, making Call of Duty multiplayer exclusive, even though I've said, I mean, why else are you paying $70 billion for this franchise? In the past, I brought up, you know, uh, Netflix and HBO, right? Warner Brothers owns DC. It's only right to keep DC properties underneath that umbrella and not let DC go uh, to Netflix or, or Disney plus doing the same thing with their Marvel properties. But I think that there is a scenario where, where, you know, technically Xbox had, you know, have their cake and eat it too. And I've said in the past, the best thing that they can do is find a way to experiment with more free to play options. Warzone, uh, blackout is something that a lot of people, uh, still talk about. There's talks about in Modern Warfare 2, them adding, and escape from Tarkov, DMZ type of mode. I would experiment with that type of stuff. Keep all of that multi-platform. And then um, break down my teams. Make one single Call of Duty. I've said this. I mean, I'm sorry for repeating again. If you love this show, thank you guys so much for listening every week. Probably heard me say this a thousand times. Is that Call of Duty is the type of brand name that should be its own platform. By this point, there's no reason to keep doing yearly releases. There's actually a rumor right now that there's once again next year not going to be another Call of Duty, that they're just going to expand upon Modern Warfare 2, and it's just the right thing to do. And I don't see Xbox going against 
that playbook. And then from there, now you can experiment with building a team to make an individual single player experience that's completely detached from um, the multiplayer. The uh, Call of Duty Vanguard is something where it's like, okay, this is this this looks like a really really cool campaign, but you you hear from everybody, uh, pretty much the majority of Call of Duty players absolutely hate the multiplayer experience of Vanguard, and that's why it's so important to keep those two uh, separate. The Call of Duty League crowned their champion uh, yesterday, and almost immediately right after, a lot of the pros were saying, "Thank God we no longer have to play this dog shit Vanguard game." Uh, because Modern Warfare 2 is right around the corner. So by separating those two, that's really the best thing that they can do. So even though I think that this this story was really kind of blown out of uh, proportion, I could see the positives and the negatives, excuse me, the negatives of taking both of those approaches. I think that Xbox can say with the utmost confidence, and I think they are right to have that confidence, that if they were to remove Call of Duty from PlayStation, those Call of Duty fans will not just wake up one day and say, okay, I guess I'm just going to play Apex Legends now. No, they're going to go out there and they're going to buy an Xbox, even if it's an Xbox Series S, even if they don't go as far as getting an X. They absolutely are going to go out there and buy an Xbox or build a, a PC in order to access whatever the next Call of Duty is. That's just what that type of game does it's the same as what um playstation understood uh with spider-man you know spider-man is the I, th I think he is the most recognizable comic book character in the world or or at least on marvel's roster i believe spider-man is number one so with that being said there was no one in, in, you know, inside a PlayStation said to themselves, no, we can't just keep Spider-Man to ourselves really popular. We want as many people to play this as possible. No. I mean, are we going to sit here and think that if Bungie didn't fight for their independence, they would have it? Of course not. This is PlayStation we're talking about here. And I think that's what makes this scenario so interesting is that I think the majority of us, if we sat down and we thought about the scenario in reverse... I think if we sat down and we thought, what would happen if Sony bought Activision Blizzard? I think all of us would understand that that game would now become a PlayStation exclusive. I feel pretty confident in thinking that way. Maybe in a recent year or two, maybe something like that might have changed in Sony's decisions, uh, uh, decision making within the last year. But I would put my money on PlayStation moving first in, in terms of making Call of Duty exclusive versus uh, Xbox because PlayStation has worked so hard within the last few years to identify franchises, identify key partners, identify key games, and paying money to keep them away from their competitor. Remember, they were about to do it to Starfield. They made the deal with Deathloop. They made the deal for Ghostwire Tokyo. They were very close to making the same deal for um for starfield and it, it, it the only thing that stopped it was xbox buying bethesda if it wasn't starfield would not be would not launch on xbox or probably wouldn't launch well i mean we don't know what bethesda would have done at that point or mlb the show is, is a perfect example mlb went to places and said hey if you want to renew your license you either have to publish your game on on, on nintendo switch and xbox or we're going to open up the license. PlayStation said, this license is too valuable to us. We're just going to publish it on other consoles. Mind you, PlayStation had and still has and pretty much remains to be the only baseball game in town. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They have kind of a monopoly. when it kind of, if, if you're a baseball fan and you want to play a game, you have to play MLB The Show. The only reason why it's on Xbox because they were forced to do it. So if you're a PlayStation fan, you can't really say the same about Xbox. You can't say, you know, oh, it would be wrong for Xbox to retain Call of Duty for themselves when PlayStation has done that and they continue to do that. They went out and they partnered again with Marvel and they said, we want another really popular character that you have, Wolverine, who's about to be reintroduced in 
film or TV, however they, they, they choose to reveal the X-Men and the MCU. And right now, right then, we're going to catch that lightning once again, just like we did when Tom Holland became Spider-Man. And we're going to introduce Wolverine into a video game. And hopefully those two things line up. And we're, and we're going to make it exclusive. We want to pay extra in order to make sure that uh, a single-player Wolverine game uh, can only exist on PlayStation. Yeah, he could be a Midnight Suns is cool, but single-player, he can only exist on PlayStation. So if you're a PlayStation fan, you have to understand it's a little hypocritical to go, well, if you buy Call of Duty or uh, Microsoft shouldn't, It'll, it'll be really mean or or bad at them or anti-competitive for them to do that when that's, it's just business, baby. It's exactly what PlayStation has been doing for years now, right? This week's hot release releases tomorrow, August 9th, Two Point Campus, PC, PS4, PS5, Switch, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, and it's also coming to Game Pass. August 11th, we have Cult of the Lamb, PC, PS4, PS5, Switch, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, and then finally Rumble Verse, PC, PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, and that game is also free to play. Time for us to wrap it up. Stories we didn't have time to get to. YouTuber JS All Business, as I spoke about earlier in the show, probably spent over $100,000 on beefing up his barbarian character in Diablo Immortal. Players' win rate is seemingly so good, the game won't even match him against other players, torpedoing his prospects of competing in the latest Rite of Exile endgame event. This is one of the funniest things that I've read in a, a while. This is definitely like the definition of uh, so what? This sounds like a you sort of problem. This guy was apparently talking about how he wants a refund or whatever it is. The mentality that has to go through a person's head, I don't care. I don't care if you if you're generating a million dollars a month, excuse me, a day, to spend one hundred thousand dollars on a single video game, whether it's I don't care what console it's from. And obviously we're talking about mobile gaming. I don't care where this game exists. The mentality that goes through spending that amount of money on a on a game because you don't want to put the time and skill into it. You beefed up your character, pay to win. So basically you pay to have a, an extremely powerful character. Now you're complaining because now you can't match, match make against anyone uh, because you become so powerful. There isn't a violin tiny enough to play a theme song for this story. You can eat shit for all I care because I can't even imagine how many people you could feed with $100,000 but you chose to spend it on a video game. Fuck you, fuck this guy, and fuck every YouTuber out there that continues to do this just to generate their own shitty revenue. Assassin's Creed Valhalla data miners recently discovered files of an Iron Man skin that shoots a unibeam from the chest. I'm going to repeat that. This is for Assassin's Creed Valhalla, an Iron Man skin. I, 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 I can't express how much I hate what Ubisoft did to Assassin's Creed. It, it's, it's, it's an IP that I wish someone else would buy. You know, like Crystal Dynamics get Assassin's Creed because it just sucks what they've done with it. Um, just shit. Like, who would even want that? Like, who who's an Assassin's Creed Valhalla fan and, and says to himself, I really wish my Assassin had Mark III Tony Stark armor. It's just so absolutely dumb. Microsoft is hoping to make the Xbox Series S a bit more powerful by freeing up some memory and letting developers access that extra memory if needed. There's one thing I've, I will continue to, to, to praise Xbox on is on always continuing improving their products after launch, whether it's UI, whether it's different features, things that people have asked for. You know, they finally fulfilled my wish for the Xbox Series X of... Uh, being able to turn off the light on the controller is one of the, the greatest updates that they've done on the console. But I love that they've consistently been listening and not to leave PlayStation out of it because PlayStation has been doing a better job, I think, with PlayStation 5 of listening and updating. But I think they're far and away from what Xbox has been doing. So this sounds pretty cool. And then finally, last week, Riot Games announced that their upcoming fighting game, Project L, will be free to play. 
once this happens, whenever this game comes out, because it, it still looks like it's a ways away, obviously it still doesn't even have an official name. We're still calling it Project L. Um, you know, when this happens, this will be the first, as far as we know it, the first triple A fighting game to go free to play. This is this is a big deal. This is a really big deal. I mean, we saw what Multiversus is doing, and that's great, but I really wouldn't consider that a triple A, a AAA fighting game, a triple A game. But you can tell that Riot Games is putting a lot of money into this. Even some of the early footage of the game shown looks really, really sharp. It looks really, really good. It looks like they're taking fighting games very, very seriously. Um, so hopefully this works out. For uh, them, they've obviously found some success with Valorant, um, and that's another great layer to this is um, being able to, to build their own fighting game competitions with Project L going forward. We see how much money they've pumped into Valorant. We can absolutely see that them doing it again here. And to be able to lower that barrier of entry for anyone that wants to get into fighting games, to be able to practice, learn, and go to competitions for this game and not have to pay anything up, up um, for it. Uh, really, really great. Shout out to the week. Shout out to Jervalin or Jervalin, a speedrunner who took on YouTuber Critical's Halo 2 Challenge to beat the game on his hardest difficulty with all but one skull on and not die in the process. He was able to do it. I think it took a, a little over six hours. His reward was a nice, cool $20,000. So congrats to him. And then shout out to all of the EVO 2022 champions. EVO ended just yesterday. Top eights never, ever fail to disappoint. I'm going to give a, a shout out to IDOM, fellow New Yorker who came in second place and just had arguably one of the best losers bracket runs I think I've ever seen in uh, EVO competition. Unfortunately, he fell short at the end. But congrats to, to, to him and all of the other uh, first place champions at EVO 20. 22. Thank you guys so much for joining. Please follow us on Twitter and YouTube at Cam Cody for future updates. Once again, I'm Joel, and I'll see you all next week.